From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we'll have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you today, Joel? I'm back in the office. <laughs> yes, it's a it's bit fine. strange after a week of lockdown. Yeah, um, especially yeah, with last week being my first week at, at the job, so it's nice to come into the office and meet uh, the other people that we share the office with and get a bit of a sense of the vibe of the place. Yeah, you missed out on uh, meeting your colleagues, I guess, on day one. It's taken a week. I um, did. I did. Um, all one extra colleague in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been working from home before it was cool um, with, with a lot of our stuff. Um, we are socially distanced today. If you are catching up on the, the YouTube video afterwards, you'll see that we do have a, I think it's two metres of distance today. So we're, we're doing it by the book. And we're, we're well in excess of the square metre rule. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're in a, quite a big office uh, at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, we're doing good. We're pumped for today. Um, we have someone really great that we wanted to have on since the beginning of the show uh, to represent organisational psychology. Um, so I'd like to guess, uh, introduce our guest for today. Uh, she is the chair of the Australian Psychological Society College of Organisational Psychologists. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Heather Eichen. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to, to have the opportunity to speak with both of you. Yeah, it's a, actually a big week for organisational psychologists. I don't think I've told you, Heather, but we've got three org psychs on in one week. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah, so we're really representing the profession. Um, obviously, uh, as we'll talk about in today's podcast, org psychs are going to have a big role to play in the emerging field of psychological health and safety. Um, so yeah, really uh, got some really great people um, who will be contributing. Wonderful. And um, so how, how are you surviving over there? Um, I guess you're, you're living kind of free at the moment, no lockdown? Yes, I am very fortunate to be in the lovely Brisbane, Queensland. Uh, and yeah, no, things have been going really wonderful for us. Um, you know, I think probably people around the country are watching and I think probably for us in, in Queensland and Western Australia, people know we've got um, the most sort of hardcore premiers <laughs> uh, running things, keeping us safe, but it has uh, obviously thrown a few challenges just with border closures and so forth. But um no, I, I, um, I have family and friends in Melbourne who have been very jealous of me living the free life over the last, gosh, well, it's been nearly 12 months, which is insane. Um, but yeah, no, we're, uh, we've been out and enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> I know you guys weren't able to enjoy the sunshine in Perth last week, but um, but yeah, no, look, uh, things are going really well, really well managed here and um, super, super grateful that we can continue to enjoy freedoms in our lives here. Yeah, look, our state leaders, I think, are doing everything to uh, get re-elected as yours did last year and uh, ours is definitely heading that way this year. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Heather, well, um, one of the things that we like to do before we start talking about professional things is um, ask you a little bit about um, your personal life, not too personal. So um, because we're on a podcast, we'll like to ask you about what your favourite podcasts are, ones that you aren't embarrassed to 
tell the world about? <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, look, I have to admit, I don't actually get to listen to podcasts as much as I would ideally like. It's something that I've been wanting to get more into and I'm always writing down. I've got a list somewhere of podcasts that have been recommended to me. Um, the the one that I actually started listening to that got me really hooked that um, I'll still continue to follow because it's continuing is The Lady Vanishes. Um, so yeah, I haven't really been getting into podcasts enough for work lately, but I've really enjoyed the lady vanishes for anyone who's, who's kind of been following that. That's obviously a true crime kind of story here in Australia, um, about a a lady that went, um, missing back in 1997. And the podcast is, um, hosted by a couple of staff from channel seven, um, and, um, Sally Layden, who's, um, marrying the, the lady that went missing her daughter. Um, and it's just really fascinating um, listening to them and their investigative work and how it's kind of blown things open and got the police back on the case to see if they can actually find out what happened to her. So I'm really hooked because obviously it's it's a real life story and, um, you know, I desperately hope for them that they're able to find out what happened. So, yeah, I'm super hooked on that. Um, so, yeah, true crime, um, I like that kind of stuff. Um, I've listened to, um, you know, some episodes of Work Life by Adam Grant um, and I watch kind of what he's doing online as well as a probably one of the most high-profile organisational psychologists in the world. Um, so yeah, but I have been listening. I've already listened to a few, um, episodes of this podcast as well. I'm sure this will be one of my new favorites. Um, and I'm really keen. I've, I've been listening to some of the recommendations made by others. So I'll be sure to add them to the list (laughs) of things that I need to listen to. Well, if you're, um, if you like true crime, um, the episode that aired today with Carlo, um, he suggested a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and I've started listening to it and now I'm a little bit um, addicted to it. So, <laughs> Oh, maybe I'll start it on my way home. See, my problem at the moment is my commute to and from work is only about 20 minutes. So it's not very conducive to podcast listening, unfortunately. But, yeah, I need to I need to go to the gym a little bit more and podcasts are an excellent way to stay entertained while you're doing your own workout at the gym. <laughs> yep, absolutely are. Um, I know Jason likes to listen to one while he does his swim yeah, yes, yes. Actually, yeah, I heard you mention that, Jason, the other day, yeah. He yep. was showing me some really cool um, headphones that he that he uses. Um, yeah, I must use... admit I was wondering about that. I know you can get waterproof ones now, but I don't know. I find that weird. Yeah, no, they're, they're bone-conducting ones, so they don't actually sit in your ear. They sit on your kind of next to your ear. Uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of bizarre to be able to put your fingers in your ear and they get louder rather than quieter. Um, yeah, interesting. Excellent for swimming. So I highly, uh, if anyone wants, to, can't find an hour per podcast to listen to our podcast uh, and you swim, then a great way to uh, to make use of the time. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Heather. So um, can you tell us a bit about your professional career to date? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, People who know me well will know that I am immensely passionate about the field of organisational psychology and what I do. And so I think when people meet me and ask, how did I get into organisational psychology? They think I must have been dreaming about being an org psych since I was a kid. Uh, Of course, I had no idea what it was when I was a kid. Probably most kids would not um, necessarily be aspiring to a career as an organisational psychologist necessarily. I actually went to university to study political science because, again, anyone who knows me well would not be surprised to learn that when I was younger, people were suggesting to me I should go into law or politics. Um, (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. Uh, Hopefully only good things. Um, But, yeah, so at uni I um, 
was not enjoying studying um, government and politics and I had picked up psychology um, just as one of my first year electives and I was really enjoying it. I was also studying sociology, which I'd done really well at in high school. Um, And so I picked up psychology as a major, but I was actually doing a Bachelor of Arts degree and you had to have two majors. Um, And so, you know, I was having advisors tell me, you've got to find a second major. And I was thinking, oh gosh, what on earth do I study? And I literally was looking through the course catalogue thinking, what am I going to do? And I saw human resource management. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like something that might be useful. Not at the time realising that psychology and human resource management is a match made in heaven. So I actually got a lot of exposure to Orgsite through my undergrad um, and went through, got my qualifications. Um, so yeah, did my master's degree in 2007, 2008. Um, and it was actually just after that, that I started volunteering with the College of Organisational Psychologists. Um, just because as much as people experience me to be quite outgoing, I am a little bit shy and get a bit nervous in group settings. So it was a good icebreaker for me in terms of networking. Um, And so, yeah, sort of stuck with that. And um, so I've been with the the college um, in line with my career now for 12 years. Um, And in terms of my actual paid work, um, because obviously all of that college work is voluntary, um, I've done all sorts of stuff. I've moved around a bit, tried different things, worked internally in roles. I've done the consulting thing. I've worked in government, most recently working in the not-for-profit sector. I'm about to change roles again and go to the private sector. Um, But since um, actually... It was almost just on 10 years ago now, I took a role with the Department of Education up in Queensland and it was just a short-term contract initially to look at the issue of cyberbullying. It was actually cyberbullying of school staff and the department wanted to know how do we manage that risk um, because they'd had a few serious incidents. And so there that kind of evolved into me becoming the subject matter expert on um, workplace bullying. And, of course, even then 10 years ago, um, understanding of that issue... you know, it was really still in its infancy. So I was able to sort of bring that health and safety lens to managing workplace bullying as a um, health, safety and wellbeing type issue. And that kind of really caught me on the bug of, of you know, mental health at work um, as it's most commonly referred to now. So from there, I did a few consulting type gigs um, and um, initially I was with a, a um, safety firm, which a lot of people might know, actually, a lot of listeners of the podcast might know of the company Centus um, that specialised in safety culture and safety leadership space. I worked with them for a while. Um, and then I went to a small boutique consultancy firm in Brisbane called TMS Consulting. And they actually hired me for my health, safety and wellbeing skills um, and working that that psych application in that space. Um, but in line with specialising in some of that work, I was also doing a lot of general organisational development work as well. So a lot of um, leadership development, team development, strategic planning, change management, building change capability, those kinds of things. So I sort of have a passion for both areas and um, have come to the view now that that actually in order to really enhance wellbeing outcomes in the workplace, the best way to do that is through strategic HR. Um, and so I'm sort of really now channeling my energy into that organisational development space. So commencing that new role um, as of next week in the private sector, which I'm really excited about as an organisational development manager. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, um, maybe a big nutshell, um, <laughs> kind of been what I've been up to for the last, yeah, 15 or so years. Well, congratulations on the new role. It sounds really exciting and um yeah, speaking from my own experience, it can be a little bit daunting um, going into something completely different after 
after doing something that's sort of the same for, for so long. But um, I'm sure that the enthusiasm that you're bringing to everything else that you do will, uh, will head you off in the right direction. So um, good luck. Thanks. So, um, Heather, you're obviously uh, a chair of the professional body for organisational psychologists in Australia. Yes. Um, so you're probably the best person to talk to regarding this. Uh, and that is, you know, what is an organisational psychologist? How does one become an organisational psychologist? Um, and what are some of the requirements of, of being an organisational psychologist? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure like you guys would have experienced this as well, talking to people about organisational psychology and um, the questions people ask when you say you're an organisational psychologist is like, so do you like organised people or stuff? Like, it's very, a lot of confusion often about what organisational psychologists it's, um, do. It's better than uh, when they say, can you read my mind? And oh, I get, I get that all the time <laughs> as well. And um, it's really fun when you just say to people, yes, yes, I can read your mind. Yeah, um, or the, um, oh, does that mean you're analysing me? And you say, yes, yeah, narcissistic yeah, personality. So I, <laughs> yeah, actually I am. I am analysing you right now. Now, usually I say to people, oh, gosh, I really don't have time for this right now. I'm, I really don't have the time or energy to sit here and try and analyze you. But like anybody else, I'm going to experience you in a certain way. So, um, you know, we're all really analyzing each other all the time, aren't we? You don't need to be a psychologist to be analyzing other people. Um, but look, certainly, you know, um, psychology um, is very closely associated with the idea of mental health. And I think particularly mental ill health. Um, and so often when people hear psychologists, they automatically think of clinical type psychology settings. Um, and organisational psychology is very different um, to clinical psychology practice. So, you know, organisational psychology in its absolute most basic sense. So psychology is really the study of human behaviour. Organisational psychology is the study of, study of human behaviour in organisational settings. Um, but really what we're doing um, in the field of organisational psychology is extremely diverse um, and relates to, you know, anywhere where people are working in organisations and looking at that from any perspective, whether it's um, looking at the day-to-day -day experience of an individual worker or working alongside strategic business leaders to understand how to run their businesses more effectively, you know, through harnessing their people. So we're doing all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, first and foremost, I guess we're really actually working on the preventative side of mental ill health by creating great workplaces to work in that obviously mitigate risks to mental health, which is really all about um, what we're talking about with the podcast. Um, but, you know, it's not just about well-being. A lot of organisational psychologists will have a... Um, a performance focus, which will be really about, you know, how do you take a good leader to a great leader through executive coaching? How do you get boards, um, so um, boards of directors to work more effectively together and ensure that they're um, doing what they need to do in, in um, governing organisations? Um, how do we get business leaders to work together effectively? You know, how do we do governance? How do we shape culture? Um, there's just so much stuff that we do that really sits across all facets of running organisations, but also then that employee life cycle from attracting, selecting and recruiting talent into organisations to then onboarding and managing that talent, ensuring those employees are engaged, that they have a positive experience through to exiting, whether it's 
um, looking at exiting strategies and ensuring that employees going to be great brand ambassadors for organizations um, once they leave um, through to supporting, you know, for example, it might be restructuring processes where there are redundancies and um, providing outplacement services and um, and things. So yeah, organizational psychology is such an incredibly diverse field, but we're really there as that expert on people to guide businesses, to guide business leaders, to guide HR, to guide workplace health and safety professionals, etc., on really how to get the most out of their people and support thriving workforces. Yeah, I, I like that um, positive um, framework that we kind of work in, right? So that was definitely what drew me to organizational psychology as compared to clinical we're clinical, you're really dealing with people who aren't doing well and you're trying mm. to get them back to a level where they're functioning. Uh, whereas organisational psychology, it's a lot about performance improvement, whether that's in terms of the, the organisational performance, the employee performance, the wellbeing performance uh, in a vast array of areas as, as you've described. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find it such an exciting field and there's so many things in the field of organisational psychology that I would never profess to be an expert on um, because it's just such a such a um, varied kind of field that we work across. Um, but yeah, so many opportunities. It's really, really exciting space to work in. It's not a big profession <laughs> in terms of actual endorsed organisational psychologists in Australia. It feels a bit like we're a little bit of a rare breed. Um, but yes, certainly um, doing very excellent work and um, often behind the scenes, um, the work we do isn't isn't probably that visible a lot of the time. We're kind of there as the backbone supporting HR functions and so forth or coming into organisations as consultants a lot of the time. Yeah, so maybe um, you just mentioned then the, the specialist title, organisational psychology, mm-hmm. uh, psychologist, I should say. Um, I don't have the specialist title, Joel does. <laughs> um, I'm so- better. <laughs> In many ways, <laughs> we we're just talking off air before that. Joelle's the uh, the favourite for the listeners so far, so uh, I can I can live with that. Um, she's a great person, but <laughs> uh, tell us, you know, what's the difference between a psychologist and an organisational psychologist, if even if they've got the same qualifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and this is probably really consuming, uh, confusing to consumers out there um, as well, because it's kind of like, oh, what do all these titles mean? And a lot of people wouldn't even realise that they're actually protected under legislation. So, in Australia, we have a, a regulatory scheme for psychologists. Um, the title psychologist is protected, so you need to be registered in order to call yourself a psychologist. And the way to become a registered psychologist is to do a six-year sequence of training. So, where we're moving to in Australia at the moment is in the in the past back in the early days the typical training pathway was you would do four years at university and then you would go and do a supervised two-year placement um, on the job Um, that pathway is being phased out now and so to become a generally registered psychologist in the future what you'll be doing is undergraduate degree plus an honours year plus a master's degree that could be a professional master's that's five plus one which means that that six year is actually still an internship um, and that allows you to become generally registered or you can do your fifth and sixth year in a particular field. So there's nine areas of practice in psychology, organisational, of course, being one of them. Clinical is another. Um, So you can do your um, master's degree in organisational psychology. That's an accredited degree that um, allows you to become registered as a generally registered psychologist. Um, once you've done that, because you've done that postgraduate training and you're on the pathway to becoming an organisational psychologist, you're, you're then eligible to do uh, the Psychology Board of Australia Registrar Program. 
And so the registrar program is really um, a, a process of working with a supervisor to ensure that as the registrar, you have the, the ability to demonstrate a set of advanced competencies. So the competencies are very specific to practicing the field of organizational psychology. So your supervisor um, works with you and provides you with guidance and is really assessing your ability to apply those competencies in practice. Um, and then once you complete that registrar program, um, obviously you apply and you get an endorsement added to your registration. So all psychologists that are um, that are fully registered have general registration. So the three of us, Jason, Joelle, um, myself, we've all got general registration. And then what Joelle and I have on our registration record is, is a note advising that we're endorsed to practice in the area of organisational psychology. Um, that title is protected by law. So in order to call yourself an organisational psychologist, um, you need to have that endorsement. And so that's really what signals to the average consumer that those individuals that carry that title have that additional two years of training. Um, and the, the regulatory scheme is such that um, you have to maintain um, those competencies year on year. So when you do your, um, uh, so we're all required to do 30 hours of professional development every year and organisational psychologists must do at least half of that professional development specific to those organisational psychology competencies. Yeah, well, Joelle's very lucky. She's got recorded evidence now of her CPD on, on the podcast. So I know. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> excellent. Yes. So, yeah, it's and, you know, that's the kind of thing, I guess, that's that's what we're doing as, as org psychs is we're continuing to learn and cultivate our skills and make sure that when we're working with our clients, we're um, bringing them the absolute best level of service possible. And I've heard you guys talking about, you know, the importance of evidence-based practice. Um, and that's certainly what psychologists bring through those requirements to maintain continuing professional development in the field. So can you tell us, Heather, what does COP have planned for 2021? Oh, um, we have so much planned and I'm like, oh, I know there's so much stuff coming this year that I'm desperate to be able to tell you, but it's not stuff that I can announce yet. So if you want to know about the College of Org Psychs, you can follow us on social media. Um, our Facebook group is particularly active, but you can find us on LinkedIn. So um, you just need to search for Organisational Psychology in Australia on both platforms um, to, to keep updated. But in terms of what we do have planned, um, Probably the thing that I'm actually most excited about at the moment is um, we were due to have our biennial conference this year, which is called um, IOP, IOP conference. So that's Industrial and Organisational Psychology Conference. But um, given the risks around running face-to-face uh, -face events, the Australian Psychological Society decided we'd run all events virtually this year. So we decided to postpone our face-to-face -face conference to next year and instead are actually developing up a brand new event concept that will be run virtually. And uh, I'd love for any of the listeners who are interested in organisational psychology to look out for this. Come follow us on social media. Um, it's so new that I we haven't even given it a title yet. Um, so the, the working title is basically Virtual Conference 2021. Um, but yeah, we'll have a few different streams and we'll be running it over um, concurrent Fridays, probably in July. And um, we will really be focusing on um, how organisational psychology is, is used in, you know, pretty much every domain of organisation. So we'll have some topics kind of focused on HR, WHS practitioners, um, 
org psychs around sort of our everyday HR practices that org psychs um, really support and drive. So things like culture and engagement and team development and um, attraction and selection and those kinds of things. Uh, We'll have a stream targeted at business leaders um, type issues, strategic HR matters. So, um, you know, transformation, restructuring, um, change management, board performance, all of those kinds of strategic issues. Um, And then we should have a stream as well on the cutting edge of organisational psychology, so latest innovations. So we're just developing all of that up at the moment. And, um, yes, I'm chairing that and I'm super excited about it. And it's going to be my parting gift um, to the college because my term as chair will actually end in July. So it'll be the the last exciting thing that I get to do before I hand over the reins to our chair-elect, David Heap. Who will who will um, very aptly take over from me? Well, I look forward to seeing Joel present at the virtual conference twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. We um we should definitely uh definitely look into that. Um, drop me a line. <laughs> lock it in, uh, Heather. So, just lock it in. Yeah, lock it in. Lock it in. So yeah, lo- lots of exciting ha- um stuff happening. There's a couple of other things that I can't announce yet, but uh, seriously, you guys will love it. I just have to say you will love it. Um, I'm super excited about it. I wish I could say what it is, but um, you'll just have to stay tuned. You can just tell us, Heather. We won't tell anybody. And now it's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll and then this thousands, bit out. Okay, thousands just... of people listen to this podcast and go, oh, yeah. Uh, but, no, it's it's all I'm going to say is it's very on topic. Uh, Did you say so, yeah, berry? Was that, was that a clue? Berry? No, very with oh, a V, very. Okay. definitely very oh. on topic um, for, for mental health at work. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're definitely going to have a focus on mental health at work this year. Um, and we've also got a lot of advocacy work going on. So the Psychology Board of Australia is going through a major reform agenda at the moment. They're actually reviewing competencies. I know anyone listening is going to be like, ugh, boring. Um, but that's sort of stuff that I do. And, yeah, our, our, um, our volunteers will be continuing to run regular CPD events. We have webinars. So, again, everyone's welcome. You don't have to be an org psych. So follow us on social media to find out more if you're interested to learn a bit about org psych and want to come along to some of our events. Yeah, you uh, definitely are a glutton for punishment, so you probably deserve uh, a good retirement and sending off. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, there should be some sort of long service um, scheme for volunteers. I'm like, because I've clocked up over ten years of service with the APS. Wow. I'm like, I feel like I should get something now. Um, they're like, you can have as much leave as you like, Heather, and you'll get paid the same for that leave as for the work that you've done over the last twelve years. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like there's uh, some big boots to fill once you once you move on, Heather. Oh, thanks, Joel. That's nice. I hope so. I hope I leave a good legacy behind. Yeah. Not only, obviously, uh, do you work a full-time job, you volunteer uh, as chair of the APS, uh, you also, in that role as chair, um, contribute to the National Workplace Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the National Workplace Initiative um, has sort of come out of the National Mental Health Commission and the Mentally Healthy Workplaces Alliance. So the National Mental Health Commission got funding for this initiative and you can go online and read a little bit about it. Um, I actually got brought in because um, the Mental Health Commissioner, Lucy Brogdon, wanted to ensure that there was an org psych presence. And so um, the National Workplace Initiative um, is, is obviously being run by a team there at the um, at the National Mental Health Commission, but they've brought um, people in to um, contribute like on a voluntary basis to some working groups. Um, and so I have been um, working with the group that is basically crafting up the framework for the National Workplace Initiative. 
So essentially the purpose of the National Workplace Initiative is to help people really navigate through um, the the very diverse range of information and materials that is actually out there guiding organisations around how to create a mentally healthy workplace. So the idea is that there will be one central framework that will get applied nationally that will guide organisations on what's important in terms of mental health at work. And then there'll be a range of tools and resources and guidance that organisations will be able to access through an online portal to really help them put a mental health at work strategy in place. Um, We're acknowledging through this process that one of the challenges in this space is that it's not one size fits all for organisations. you know, scalability can be challenging sometimes. So the needs of a small business vary greatly to the needs of a large organisation. And so we'll be really looking at tailoring resources um, to help those different sort of size businesses and businesses in different sectors really hone in what's important for them in terms of the, you know, I guess the risk profile and what's realistic in terms of strategy to address mental health at work. So, yeah, I've been contributing going along to work group meetings um, just to provide an org site view around that um, and to help understand practically what it looks like for organisations implementing um, this kind of stuff. So the, the work group that I'm on um, consists of like industry representatives, um, people from policy, um, academics, um, you know, uh, regulators, etc. cetera. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's really interesting and, um, you know, I think we're making good progress. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I, you know, I'm really hopeful that it will result in just kind of like a one-stop shop, a single space that organisations um, in Australia and even internationally can go to to get um, helpful guidance um, because I think that's, the, that's a real challenge for organisations, right? The problem is a lot of the time they get that they need to do stuff and they sort of have an idea what to do, but the challenge in is translating that into how do we actually go about doing that in our organisation. So it should fill some gaps there. Yeah. Um, well, I think Lucy Brogdon uh, has uh, org psych uh, degree herself. Uh, she d- she does. Indeed, yeah. she does. So, yeah, she's actually a, she's a member of the college. Oh, yeah. there you go. So she obviously yeah. respects, I guess, the skill set that org psychs have and that's why she sought you out. Um, you might yeah. be able to put in a good word for her and ask her to uh, appear on the podcast because it'd also well, be Well, I was going to say, like, you need to talk to Lucy. Yeah, yeah I, I'm absolutely, yeah. I was tell her she needs to come on and chat to you about what the National Mental Health Commission is doing around mental health at work, yeah. Yeah, I know they're doing a lot of work, so it'd be uh, terrific to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I'll put in a good word for you, Jason and Joel. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Heather. you, Heather. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> yeah, Heather told us you were going to come on. <laughs> well, Joelle's a fellow of the college, so uh, she should get special privileges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think leading on from the, the National Workplace Initiative, um, we know in the um, OHS space we're expecting some legislation changes in terms of um, you know more explicitly talking about um, psychological health um, when they're defining health um, and sort of how that links across to um, requirements for hazard identification and risk management. Um, and there's the um, ISO 45003 standard that's uh, due to be released um, sometime this year or early next year, depending on who you ask. <laughs> 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 um, so I think, you know, there, there's 
that sort of comes with an assumption that safety professionals are going to need to become more involved in mental health at work. What are your thoughts on how organisational psychologists can work together with safety professionals in that space? Yeah, and it and it's a great question. I think sometimes um, the thing that makes me really sad is that org psychs often go a little bit missing in action in conversations around how to do mental health at work. When in fact we're actually the experts. It's it's our jam. It's what we do. Um, it's not immediately obvious that that's what we're doing. But even like I've been listening to some of your other guests talking about this and. Um, you know, when, when you really look at how do we do mental health at work, it's really just about creating um, positive, constructive businesses. It's, it's really just good organisational management. Um, and that that's what we do. So um, I have worked with some amazing HR practitioners and WHS professionals in my time, people who I immensely admire, think doing great work. And even they come to me and say, oh, my gosh, Heather, you really need to help me with this stuff because I'm just really not quite sure what I'm doing and I think you know some of the time they actually do know what they're doing but it's a confidence thing Um, and in fact I probably see three issues going on for organizations where mental health at work is concerned and the gaps that I think organizational psychologists can help to fill so one is that confidence factor they just need somebody there to help guide them um, and give them some encouragement and reassurance that they're actually doing the right things and that the things that they're doing will lead to a positive impact Um, Another one is capability where um, in situations where not all organisations are going to have a really savvy um, person employed in their organisation, particularly for smaller organisations that actually do know what they're doing around mental health at work. So we can help to build capability or lend that capability into an organisation. But the other issue, of course, is capacity. So even where you do have people that have got an idea what they're doing, um, you know, there's so much stuff that we need to get done in organisations. And, you know, for a HR function, for an example, in an organisation, there's so much transactional and operational HR work that has to happen in order to keep an organisation running. Sometimes it's hard to find time to do that strategic HR work. It sort of takes a backseat to that transactional work because at the end of the day, People have to get paid. We have to recruit people. We have to onboard people. Um, and so sometimes wellbeing isn't um, front and centre um, there. And so we can, you know, help to increase capacity by being brought on um, either internally or as consultants to increase that capacity. So really what we're bringing in is that deep level expertise, that understanding of people um, to really guide the identification um, and management of risk to mental health at work and really helping to um educate on what what would reflect good practice in any given situation you know whether it's you know any number of factors that are resulting stress in the workplace and how do we tackle those or even if it's fatigue risk management or you know how do we respond to issues like vicarious trauma or um, exposure to occupational violence and aggression or whether it's workplace bullying um you know, we're the ones that are going to be in there going, you know, the intervention that's most likely to alleviate this issue right now is going to be X, Y, Z. Um, and we're going to do that and we're going to look at it from a very strategic system level perspective. So you won't hear an org site come in and go, yeah, you just need to refer your staff to an employee assistance program or just whack in a policy or procedure here or there. What we're going to be really looking at is, you know, how do you manage changes more effectively to alleviate the risks that that change is going to result in immense stress or job insecurity, all those kinds of things for staff? How do you develop your leaders? How do you get your teams working together more effectively? How do you design 
find jobs, all of those kinds of things is what what we really do and that's what we're trained to do and that's what we study for um, when we do our master's degrees. Yeah, some really great points there, Heather, and I think it's um, important to just reiterate again that, um, you know, it's not the role of the safety professional to be a mental health professional, you know. It's their job to do the hazard identification, do the, you know, the risk assessment process, consult with org sites and other specialists to, to determine what the appropriate um, mitigations are going to be. You know, that's that's them just doing their the work that they do every day. They're just looking at a different set of hazards than they normally would potentially. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get why, you know, I've spoken to, you know, and I think we've all heard it right. You speak to the WHS professionals and you talk about psychosocial hazards and they're like, oh no, that's not my job. That's HR's job. And then you go to HR and you're like, oh yeah, but it's kind of still really a safety thing. And the safety guys need to do risk management around that. It's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) who is carrying responsibility for this here? Um, And look, it's actually everyone's responsibility, but Um, I think that's where things like the National Workplace Initiative will help to create the frameworks and guidance to put a bit of scaffolding around that in organisations. And then, you know, your HR and WHS professionals can start to unpack what their role actually is in that process. Um, And, you know, you guys have been having great conversations around that, the importance of that collaborative effort. Um, And certainly an org site can actually come in as a sort of you know, the the third corner to that triangle to actually then provide some assistance and support to those professionals to build that confidence, capability, capacity to actually really bring that mental health at work strategy to life and make sure it's working effectively to, to protect employees and promote their wellbeing at work. And access to the evidence base as well, I think, is the, the really critical thing that the org sites can, can feed into that oh. equation. And oh my gosh, there is so much information out there. And sometimes I read stuff and I think, oh my gosh, what an absolute load of rubbish. There's so much rubbish out there. And I get that it's really challenging to be able to know what's the good stuff and what's the not so good stuff. Um, And, you know, some of these issues get tackled from absolutely the wrong angle. So, yeah, we can kind of really help um, organisations to sort of sense check that and determine that they actually are doing the right things. Yeah, I, I like that phrase, you know, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, wait until you hire a novice. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, it is absolutely so true. And then the, and then it sort of begs the question, well, okay, so look, let's be honest, org psychs, we don't come cheap a lot of the time. I mean, we're not super expensive, but you kind of go, well, why would I pay an organisational psychologist more than just a management consultant, for example? Um, if that's if that's a perceived barrier for your organisation, look, to be honest, I don't necessarily think we actually are any more expensive than management consultants that aren't qualified. You know, we are a regulated profession. So for us, when we come and provide your business with advice around how to manage those risks, we're going to be extremely careful about how we go about doing that because if we give you the wrong advice, um, there is a pathway of recourse to that business in lodging a complaint with the regulator about our conduct. Um, you won't get that level of protection with any other practitioner coming into your business. So we're heavily regulated and that that actually should bring a level of comfort for organisations um, around the work that we do and also the level of discretion and confidentiality um, that we apply to our work as well with businesses, noting that a lot of this stuff can be extremely sensitive work. Yeah. Uh, I definitely see, as you kind of alluded to, the need for companies to have their hand held through a lot of these processes. Uh, I mean, we have been trying to put out some good content ourselves. We've got a product in this space. Um, Obviously, this podcast is part of us trying to uh, get good information out there, right? Um, 
uh, but I really see org sites as those people who can come in and kind of hold companies' hands through the process of, uh, you know, first of all, developing a psychological health and safety management system uh, and then the different components that fall within that. Yeah. And look, I think org psychs can actually come in at different levels as well. Like not all org psychs are going to feel comfortable advising on mental health at work strategy because right. as I'm as I referenced earlier, it's a very broad field and people tend to specialise in different spaces. So there will be org psychs like the three of us that do work in this space that could advise around that. Um, but then once you start to identify and go, okay, well, one of the major gaps for our business that's really resulting in risk around mental health is the capability of our leaders. Then you might go to an org psych that's absolutely top-notch in terms of leadership development and they might come in and design a a bespoke leadership development program that is actually going to result in um, improved outcomes in terms of leadership performance. So, you know, um, whether it's actually coming in at that mental health at work strategy level or whether it's at the actual intervention level, once you sort of decide what particular issues in the organisation you need to tackle, um, there's lots of different ways that we can ultimately support organisations. Yeah, and health and safety professionals are used to this. They're not engineers. So if they identify a hazard, they often get engineers in to, you know, engineer it out. In the same Absolutely. way, they can work with organisational psychologists once they've identified the risk to bring in that specialist, like you said, to actually address the hazard uh, versus the whole strategy piece. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, for us, um, the sorts of things that we can assist with is really diagnosing what those issues are. Um, you know, it can be really difficult when you get this overwhelming sense that your staff are stressed, but you need to understand, well, what's the ultimate root cause of that stress? So, you know, we can actually run diagnostic processes to help understand what is really driving that because, again, this is the sort of stuff that, you know, I think you guys will have seen this as well. Sometimes organisations are very well-intentioned, but they get it wrong. They misdiagnose the source of the stress. Um, And then that's where things become very costly because you put an intervention in place and you're actually tackling the wrong problem. Um, And then you get frustrated when the issue is still there and you're like, oh, my staff is still stressed. And it's like, well, yeah, because you actually haven't fixed the problem. So, you know, we can really help to do that in a very evidence-based way using appropriate tools and resources um, to assist organisations. Yeah, you clearly haven't gotten up to episode four yet in the series uh, where we talked to Sapna from Canada. She is amazing and definitely uh, advocates for that consultation piece. Um, You you need to get that right. If you're going to overspend in any area, understand the problem first. Otherwise, you could spend a lot of money, you know, wasted on interventions that aren't tackling the root cause of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I did. I actually did listen. I did oh, yeah. listen to um to that episode uh, yesterday. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely spot on. And, you know, I would, I've been listening to a few of the episodes and sort of just nodding along thinking, yep, spot on, spot on. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so many things to consider. And I think this is where organisations get really overwhelmed. So many little things. Like I think was it um, Wade the other day was t- uh, talking about, I don't think he even used the term, but organisational psychologists would refer to it as span of control, um, looking at how many direct reports a leader has mm. and making sure that they don't have a team that's so big that they actually can't provide sufficient leadership support. Um, so, you know, that really comes into the whole um, organisational design space and looking at structures and stuff and um what actually works um, and there's no perfect magical formula for that every organization is different because you have to take contextual factors into consideration when you look at what's manageable for a leader day-to-day um, in terms of having the time to provide sufficient support to their team 
So, yeah, this is why I love organisational psychology because it's such a great field and I feel I feel like we get to do the really sexy side of psychology, <laughs> really fun stuff. I'm sure, I'm sure like clinical and forensic and health psychologists, et cetera, I think they probably all say the same thing. Like we all pick our pathways, don't we? Um, but, yeah, organisational psychology is certainly really fascinating. Yeah, I well, obviously I agree, we agree, otherwise we wouldn't be working in this area and um, I think, <laughs> you know, it's such a positive thing that we've got a field of professionals who are so passionate about the work that they do and who do find it so intrinsically rewarding and, and fulfilling and I think that that's, you know, that's really when you get the best outcomes from um, from the professional that you've engaged is, is when they're really um, really committed to what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like we, we do work really hard to maintain those skills as well um, with our various ongoing professional development requirements and pretty strict regulations and so forth. So, you know, anyone that's working with us is really benefiting um, from that. So, um, you know, we've heard a lot uh, about you know, what org psychs do and what they have to do to stay registered and to provide meaningful input and insights into organisations and improving uh, psychological health at work. Um, but broadly, well, I guess, what are your hopes for the future of organisational psychology as a profession? Oh, well, um, you know, one of our big agendas within the college is simply just raising our profile and helping um, our stakeholders to understand what we do. And, you know, it's great that everyone listening is is hopefully maybe learning a little bit more about what organisational psychologists are doing and understanding that we're, we're here and ready to support you with um, the challenges that you're facing in your businesses. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd hope that we would go from strength to strength. You know, it's unfortunate sometimes when massive events um, happen in the world and we're not front and centre um, commenting. So, you know, this really became evident to me last year with the COVID-19 response that, you know, there were very few org psychs out there in the media talking and, and being consulted around the impacts of that on workforces across the country and internationally. Um, and in fact, it, it really sucks so bad <laughs> um, that there were a lot of org psychs heavily impacted um, last year because as consultants, they weren't getting work anymore. Um, and inside organisations, you know, they're potentially at, at risk of being laid off. Um, and yet, the, the first person that was really going to be able to really help an organisation navigate through those changes in impacts to the workforce was an org psych. So, um, yeah, so I really hope that um, we'll see as we get more attention around things like mental health at work that there will be a greater value placed on the skills um, that we contribute in that space um, and the training that we do around that. So, you know, I hope that we will grow and um, continue to go from strength to strength and that demand for our services will increase. Um, it's funny because I actually find, and I think um, I actually think anyone that works in HR or WHS listing will just really resonate with this anyway. It's the same for org psychs. When you work internally, it can be extremely difficult to influence um, you know, regarding your agenda around workforce strategy and to actually get listened to when you're trying to offer strategic advice. 
Um, and so I think a lot of org sites ultimately go into consulting where they can just go around that. Because, you know, by the time a business comes looking for you as a consultant, they're obviously already committed to an extent. Um, inside organisations, it's really challenging. Um, so it would be great to see more org sites getting involved in strategic workforce management, sitting at executive levels in organisations, um, sitting on boards, you know, it, boards of directors, directors, you always have somebody there that has a governance background, a legal background, an accounting background to help understand some of those corporate risks. Put an org psych on your board of directors. Um, they will help you understand how to manage the people risks in your business um, and how to manage more effectively. So, um, so yeah, that's what I kind of hope that we will go from strength to strength. Um, so that we can actually really influence some of these outcomes. Because I think, you know, we're, what we're talking about here really is that we haven't done enough regarding mental health at work yet. There is so much more work that needs to be done. And um, we're a workforce that is absolutely here and ready to support businesses to do that work. Great points there, Heather. Thank you. Um, and that leads us into the final question that we like to ask all of our guests. What are your words of wisdom for psychology students or grads who want to work in the field of psychological health and safety? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a great question, isn't it? Um, you know, I think I find it really interesting talking to psychology students that often grappling with, do I study clinical psychology or organisational psychology? And it often seems to be a choice between those two um, a lot of the time. And they're, so they're like worlds apart and it's like, well, do you want to work individually one-on-one -on -one with people um, to actually treat them in regards to, you know, mental health issues that they might be experiencing? Or do you want to work at a systems level where you can actually influence an entire system that, that drives wellbeing outcomes? Um, so it's really thinking about what level it, at which do you want to work? And there's no right or wrong answer to that either. Um, but they are extremely different fields of study. So, um, you know, I think yeah, and, and certainly um, clinical counselling psychologists, they have a huge impact on mental health at work um, because they're often they're treating people once they do become unwell or, you know, at least getting into that early, early intervention type stage. Um, so that's, that's so uh, crucial, um, especially given we know um, workplaces have such a massive impact on mental health outcomes. So we need that workforce. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just thinking about, what interests you? What type of work do you want to do? And then looking at what kind of experience can you get in that space um, and and really looking at getting exposure to to strategy and looking at how do we how do we tackle some of those issues? Um, for me, when I when I mentioned that I work for the Department of Education up here in the workplace bullying space, I had four massive leave arch files by the time I left there that were literally just filled with journal articles that I'd read. Um, every bit of research I could get my hands on, I read it. Um, and I can tell you I'm much better off for it. Um, so I think it's great to um, for students just to read and understand what's going on, look at the evidence base, because all of that information ultimately goes into your toolkit. Um, and that, that's really important in terms of being an effective practitioner ultimately when you, you do ultimately pursue a career as a psychologist. Wonderful. Thank you for those excellent words of advice, Heather, and I hope they're well heeded by any students or prospective psychs who are tuning in. Yeah. The other, the other thing I would say is um, 
It's extremely affordable to be a student member of the Australian Psychological Society. So networking is so important to your career. If you really want to learn from people, you know, come and be part of your professional community, take out, um, take out membership, you'll get access to resources and more importantly, access to people that are really going to help to enhance your career. Um, people, people like us um, who uh, always have plenty of time in the world. Well, I know I do. I'm assuming you're always happy for a chat um, to both of you, um, to people who are aspiring to work in the field that kind of just want to know what do we do? Um, it's really invaluable to have those networks. And, um, you know, it's always just a big ego boost as well to, to have, have someone come and ask you what you do and tell them all about it. So, you know, come along Indeed. and ask us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask uh, if you wanted to plug the college, but you've just done it without asking. So well done. I, if anything, this uh, conversation has led me to believe is that the chair-elect has got very, very big boots to fill. Uh, you're a force to be reckoned with, Heather. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's true. I feel that maybe that's just slightly too complimentary, but thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> you, you do a lot. And again, remember, uh, listeners, Heather does this all voluntarily on top of a full-time job. So uh, kudos to you. Yeah, I don't, I, as you can imagine, I really don't have um, much of a life around all of that work. <laughs> I'm very surprised you've actually been able to listen to so much of the podcast so quickly. So, uh, yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> uh, no problem. Yeah, and look, thank you, thank you for your time today. It has uh, been a great chat. Um, I'm sure uh, both psychologists, um, psych students, um, HR practitioners, health and safety would be the wiser now for what the org psych profession is and how it can contribute to psychological health and safety. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's that's it for today, listeners. Don't forget, um, we do record these on video. It did take a little while to set up, so please do us a favour and check out the video and make it <laughs> worth it. Um, and, uh, we, we are on YouTube under the Flourish DX channel. Uh, we do post clips, so if you can't do a whole one-hour uh, podcast episode, as these end up being most of the time due, due to the so much information, I guess, the subject matter experts that we talk to have to share, uh, then we do share little two- to three-minute clips of some of the best parts of each podcast on our Flourish DX LinkedIn page. Um, you can also feel free to connect with myself and Joelle. We're very friendly um, or, or follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, Heather's very friendly as well, as you've just heard, and so she's <laughs> particularly yeah, if you're... Yeah. Come and connect with me on LinkedIn as well, if you like. (laughs) She's a person to speak to, obviously, if you want to get in touch with the College of Organisational Psychologists and find out more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for for listening, and we'll catch you next episode with our next organisational psychologist. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.